0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the fabulous 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder, please take this moment to silence your cell phones. And also, there is no flash photography, please. Welcome to the 54 Below podcast. I'm Nella Vera, the club's director of marketing. Our guest today is Amanda Green, Amanda received 2022 Tony Award and Drama Desk Award nominations for her lyrics for the recent Broadway production of Mr. Saturday Night, which starred the legendary Billy Crystal. She received a Tony Award nomination and two Drama Desk nominations for her music and lyrics for Hands on a Hardbody. In the same Broadway season, she co-wrote lyrics for Bring It On with Lin-Manuel Miranda. The show received a Tony Award nomination for Best Musical and a Drama Desk nomination for lyrics. Also on Broadway, she wrote lyrics for High Fidelity, additional book and lyrics for the 2019 revival of Kiss Me Kate, and additional lyrics for the revival of On the 20th Century, starring Kristen Chenoweth. On October 24th, she returns to 54 Below with her solo show, Amanda Green and Friends. Amanda, welcome to our podcast. Thank
1: you so much. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. And of course, uh, my solo show, Amanda Green and Many Friends, so it's not that solo. <laughs> That's exactly. my kind of solo exactly. show with lots of other people.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, we're so thrilled for your show's debut at the club. What what inspires you to create this particular show? Uh, well, it's been, I haven't performed in a year it's been, and
1: I usually do it more often. I It's been a long time since I've uh, gathered with friends. I've been working on a couple of shows, Mr. Saturday Night, as you know, and um, a show I've been working on for a while, Female Troubles. And I'm really excited to get some of the songs out there. Uh, performing them in cabarets is one of the purest, most enjoyable ways of, of getting, of, performing my songs, I find, Uh, because it's, you don't have to worry about sets, lights, costumes, even if the play as a whole is working or not working. It's just a, it's a really fun way to showcase the songs. And I love performing and I love performing with uh, my talented
0: friends. Oh, fantastic. I just, I I had a chance to see Mr. Saturday Night finally um, last month. And I have to say, you know, it was everything that people said it was going to be was fun and it was a wonderful night. And I also found it deeply profound as somebody who works in entertainment and also my boyfriend is a writer. He's mainly a television writer. And mm-hmm. the two of us just we were so moved because you know there was such a truth to that character um, and his yearning. And, and we all know that writer, that performer. <laughs> and I just felt like, wow, you know, that that's really a show that captures what it is like to be an artist with all the insecurities and the bravado. And I I found it very profound, even though it was, you know, marketed as a kind of a, a fun, you know, wonderful musical that you go to and, you know, for entertainment and to see Billy Crystal. And um, yeah, there was so much more to it.
1: I agree. I mean, it is, uh, I think, very profound, you know, about um, aging, but still feeling like you have more to prove and uh, being an imperfect family member and parent and spouse and, and getting the chance to to learn and grow no matter how old you are. And uh, both him and his very grown daughter, you know, who also has a, undergoes a growth. So I think it's about families. It's about a life in the entertainment, um, and how that sort of ambition really never goes away. You know, mm-hmm. I had, my father was Adolf Green, who, as you know, and, uh, you may not know Adolf Green of, of Condon course, Green, of course. you know, who wrote Sing in the Rain and all these incredible things. And up until the day he died, I think he was always still the kid who wanted to make good, you know, who felt like he hadn't done it quite right yet, you know, and I don't think that ever goes away, <laughs> <laughs> so...
0: That's so crazy, yeah. <laughs> but it is so true. Yeah. Um, you know, Uh is that how you got started in composing? Because you had parents in the business or? I,
1: I certainly, I, I wanted to be an actor and I never thought of writing. Um That's, I don't know why I never thought of writing, but I, I started out as acting, wanting to be an actor. And then I started writing songs, mostly pop songs. And then I, um, I joined the BMI Musical Theater Writing Workshop sort of on a lark. And the first writing assignment, I, something clicked and I was like, yes, yes, yes. This is, this is where my conglomeration of eccentricities and talents and proclivities, like I felt like, oh, okay, this is a place I can, where I belong, you know, because I wasn't quite sure where I fit in, in the world of creating. I always knew I wanted to create because they made it look like so much fun, you know, they're not the business, but their friends and the act of creating and the joy they got out of it when it was cooking and going right. Of
0: course, of course. And your mom, of course, was the incredible Phyllis Newman also. So was your house always filled with music growing up? I always wonder because I I did not grow up in a musical household and I have this romantic idea of people gathered around a piano, you know, families having fun and... Just singing and you know all those yeah. good times. <laughs> yes,
1: twenty four seven. Definitely not twenty four seven. It was <laughs> it was. I would say like a typical household, except less typical because uh, you know theater. So they woke up late, and they you know and um, but they uh, when they had parties, it was people around a piano. It was legends around a piano singing and performing, and it was an amazing place to be. So it was everything, if you closed your eyes and imagined it, it was like that, but on special occasions,
0: not all the time. <laughs> so growing up with luminaries like Cy Coleman and Julie Stein and Leonard Bernstein, were any of them uh, an influence, you know, in particular, in terms of your own writing? Um, well, they all were. I mean, because I admired them all. I
1: um, My dad played me Pacific Overtures before it came out and I it blew my little mind and I had to memorize all the lyrics and I became obsessed I think first with lyric writing when I heard Pacific Overtures because I was just blown away and um, Steve Sondheim is someone who like many others have said I would reach out to from the time I was in my early 20s and send him songs and he I think when I was like 30 three or something, I sent him a CD of my songs, and he sent me something back saying, "You're, you know, essentially, you know how to do this. You're really good at this." And it was like, the yes of the, you know, of my life. <laughs> you know, um, that's of so I, I, you know, of course, like everybody else, I framed it. It's hanging on my wall, and, but um, that was the big yes into this world. You
0: know, I yeah. felt. Oh, fantastic. And your brother's also a writer, right? I've seen he, his writing yes. in Vogue and other places. Mm-hmm. Um, so you both ca- caught that, um, Absolutely. that bug, that writing bug.
1: Yeah, it would be hard not to catch it. <laughs> it would be hard to go into <laughs> any other business surrounded by these geniuses, as you said, Bernstein and Sondheim and Sy Coleman and Julie Stein and Arthur Lawrence and Mike Nichols, you know, it went on and on the, the parade of geniuses, Betty Compton and Lauren McCall. Anyway, I could I'll just Lovely. drop names for the next 20 minutes, but um, <laughs> they were all Amazing. profound influences. Yeah.
0: Um, I also read that you started your career in country music. Yes. Can you tell us about that? That's so fascinating.
1: Yeah. Well, I, again, I was in my early twenties, I was writing pop songs and I, they were always funny. They were always, you know, what someone a publisher in Nashville kindly dubbed as left of center. Um, When I heard Lyle Lovett, he was incredibly, he is incredibly witty and dry. And I thought, I want to, I want to write songs like that. I want to be able to write witty. You know, he, his songs like, you know, God, God Will, and um, all of them have a sly sense of humor. So I thought I could write those kind of songs. So I went to Nashville, I had a day job, but I would take my vacations and spend my time in Nashville and just meet people and write with people. And um, so I kind of cut my songwriting teeth in Nashville. I don't think I ever really belonged there because I was very New York quirky, <laughs> you know. But um, mm-hmm. but I I met and wrote with tons of people, and I learned so much, and I had a great time doing it.
0: It's interesting because I think you know what I love about country music is that it, they most of the songs do tell a story, and it's it's really in a way theatrical, and I'm still waiting for that. Kind of, you know, for more country musicals to hit our world because I just find the songwriting is so, has so much storytelling in it.
1: Yes, yes. The best country songs are, um, tell great stories. They do, they can tell generational stories. You can travel a hundred years in one story or, uh, Take you on a huge emotional journey. So yes, there'll there'll be more. And hands on a hard body, as it was a country score that I got to. Yes, it was. Yeah,
0: it was wonderful. Uh, Thank you so much. Two of my favorite shows: hands on a hard body and high fidelity. Being a Gen Xer, I just loved high fidelity so much. (laughs) So it's so exciting to talk to you since you wrote on both of those projects. Thank Um, you. I know that you've written lyrics for original shows like Female Trouble and uh, also have done, you know, several projects that are based off of movies. Um, Mm -hmm. How, you know, can you talk a little bit about the difference between how you approach each of those projects? um, You know, or is there a difference?
1: I think there's a difference on how you approach every project. It doesn't matter whether it's... uh... Original or uh, based on a on a movie or a book, because and, and for me particularly and even not, uh, but I go from collaborator to collaborator. I've worked with people on uh, serially. I've worked with Tom Kitt a number of times, Curtis Moore, who I'm working on Female Troubles with. This is our fourth musical, but it's different personnel each time, and it's a different uh, problem to solve or something to figure out. Uh, obviously, if you have a book or a movie you're basing it on, you sort of have that. You'd have the characters, you uh, you may have the structure, but you what you have to do in a if you're basing it on a movie or a book is figure out how to tell the story on stage, as opposed to putting the movie on the stage. You have because you know how it begins and you know how it ends, but how you mm-hmm. get there, what the stakes are, you don't have as many. Um, you can't just take the tent poles of a story for, of a film and and make them work for a musical because the demands are different. So that's what you, that's what your job is is to figure out what do you keep, what do you create that's not there. Um, I the thing I do love about pre existing material is that. If someone is a great character and has a turn of phrase i love taking a, a phrase that someone says and going oh that could be a song you know uh like mm-hmm. in high fidelity my desert all-time top five breakups or it's no problem or and uh you know enhance on a hard body if you can't hunt with the big dogs, stay on the porch with the pups, or it's a human <laughs> drama thing. You know, you find these phrases and it yeah. can excite and ignite you uh, with an original yeah. story. It's kind of fun because you can go, what if there was somebody named blah, and they went into yeah. the forest and blah, you know, and all of a sudden you can, you can yeah, take yeah. your, I find your silliest ideas, my most outrageous ideas and, Stuff that crack you up in a room and and you go, no, we could never do that. Could we? Let's try it. You know, so I I do love the freedom Mm -hmm. of an original idea, which allows you to do
0: that. Yeah. I love what you said about the turn of phrases, you know, because I think the fans kind of expect that, you know, jokingly. I was talking to somebody about the Karate Kid musical Mm -hmm. and they said, well, there better be a song that's called (laughs) Wax On, Wax Off. And we were joking about it. But, you know, it's kind of the tyranny,
1: the tyranny of a very (laughs) beloved um, piece, uh, you know, property Uh, that that is par for the course. I mean, even Hands on a Hard Body, which was based on a pretty obscure but brilliant documentary, people are like, well, I hope you're going to have this and I hope you're going to have that and, you know, bring it on, you know. They were like, hmm. is, is there going to be a song about spirit fingers? And the minute someone says, is there going to be a song about blah? Like my soul dies a little. And I don't <laughs> want to write that song. <laughs> you Ooh. know, you
0: never want to write the of obvious course. song.
1: You want to come up with something that at a new angle. Yeah.
0: It's yeah. true, but you somehow have to, you know, keep the fans with you and like not have that moment be a letdown for them. But at the same time, and, you know, Make it fresh and new for them, and that, that's such a challenge. It is. Yeah, that is the more challenge. beloved
1: the um, the more beloved the movie or book or play that you're basing <laughs> it on, the hard you know the more challenges that way to. But you have to, in one sense, you you want to satisfy the audience, and in the other, you want to sort of block out what what you think you should do and write what you think is the right thing for you know that yeah. will be fresh and entertaining and fun.
0: Yeah. That may not no, be I the love honest. that. I love that. The um the owners of 54 below are also producing uh Back to the Future. Yes. And, you know, those discussions have been, you know, the main discussions which were how do you stay true to the property and not have it just be the movie on stage but be a, another step in the journey of the story. Um but also, you know, that particular film comes with a fandom that is very protective of, yes. you know, how could you not, when you, you have my- Michael J. Fox, you know, the, you know, looming over uh, you know, the, the production. And so it's, it's just interesting to me, because just looking at, you know, the projects that you've worked on, they were very, in my opinion, very successful in, in that aspect, which was satisfying to a fan base, but also making it, you know, fresh and fantastic for the stage. And when I remember when they announced, they announced Hands on a Heart, Buddy, everybody was like, how are they going to do this? (laughs) I mean, well, neither of those
1: were were financial or any successes, but I I still think they're wonderful. But
0: they are, they were, um, they have, you know, followings now, um, you know. So But I, yeah, I will say,
1: I also just wanted to say about Back to the Future too, because I, I haven't seen it, but that's a sort of almost another thing it sounds like, which is like, how can can we do all those things? Like that's the, it seems like a really fun challenge. You want to see a car fly? We're going to show you a car fly. Exactly. You want to see this? We're going to show you that. So um, that sounds like fun. Yeah. But, Back to it me. is yeah. yes
0: I- <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly yeah. um are there other films out there that you have your eye on that you would love to adapt or just even if you know even if the rights aren't available like is do you have a project
1: always always yes i do um i the the rights are not available but um I don't know if I could tell them now or if I should tell oh, them, but I okay. have, you know, I want to feel a little uh, protective of it. I think yeah, most yeah. writers would, but um, yes, I have my pie in you the sky, short list, yeah. dream, dream properties, oh, which, which may not be good ideas or, and which may not ever, I may not ever get the rights. And, and actually a funny thing is that I, I love the movie Bridesmaids and when it came out, you know, what like, was it like ten years ago now or something that bridesmaids? I refuse came out? to
0: believe that. But I, I refuse to so. believe that too, but <laughs> I
1: think so too. And I was dying to adapt bridesmaids, and I, I, I just kept hitting brick wall after brick wall, and not being able to get the rights made me write female troubles with my friend oh. Curtis. And it's not it's not about bridesmaids, but called female troubles. It's about women's reproductive freedoms, and it's it's more, it's better. It's, I mean, I'm not saying it's better than Bridesmaids, but it was like, I I wanted that humor. I wanted the female camaraderie, but then I could also synthesize it to something I care deeply about. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, so sometimes a no can turn into a better yes. That's what I want to say. Yeah,
0: Yeah. And is now, did you start writing that show before all of this we started writing Stuff it
1: happened. six years ago, so yes, but it's been
0: bad for a long time. <laughs> women's reproductive. Well, it's been freedom. on the radar for sure. Yeah, I mean, I know that people were quite shocked, but were we really? Because that's kind of what they were gunning for for so long. You know, I know, <laughs> I but we if you would all ask kind me, of knew. <laughs> I don't know if we. I mean, w-
1: when it got close to what we did, but I mean, five years yeah. ago. I, I, w- I would never have believed that could happen. But, you know, there you go. Yeah.
0: Quite shocking. And, and more, Quite shocking. all the more reason why we need a show like that and we need, you know, more art that addresses Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think just not even just the political part of it, but just, you know, how it it is going to affect real people. Um, Completely, you know, yes.
1: So. Our show is is not political, except that it is political. But it's really just about a two women who find themselves unwed and pregnant, and it's funny. So because we also did make it funny, but you know, in okay. they're in nineteenth century uh, England, and it's sort of oh. in the Jane Austen world, and they oh, um,
0: fantastic.
1: Yeah, so it's sort of. It, it has all those tropes, but it's, it's it's contemporary music. But it's really just about them and their lives and how it affects them and what they have to do to try to yeah. solve their female troubles.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And when when might we see? We might. Trouble? Are we you might in the workshop stage?
1: Or? We oh yes, we're in the workshop stage. You we might see it uh, somewhere um, in the fall of twenty twenty three. We might. That's all I can say Great. at this moment
0: exciting yeah. well definitely yeah. we'll put that on my radar to look out, out for okay um, so, this question was uh one of my staff members wrote this question um uh, so your process when you're coming up with new materials like what's that process like do you write the lyrics first or do you hear the music first it's so interesting <laughs> the, the to age us old how, question uh, Right? Yes. <laughs> uh it is different with each uh
1: collaborator. Uh with uh, working with Jason Robert Brown who I just worked with a genius it was mm. all music first with him. Which I've never I've never done a whole show music first. Uh it does, it doesn't mean that we wouldn't talk first always it's talking first. It's the two of you talking together about what is the song moment what's it about what's the tone what's the style where does it take you um where does it begin and where does it end emotionally or or story wise um although you don't sometimes you don't always know where it's going to end but um and then and what it might be called or or uh, the so and and then Jason would write some music and I would take the music and write some lyrics and then it, you know so that so that's the way that worked i have worked very heavily lyric first uh on other occasions uh usually it's a back and forth between the two of them but it's mm-hmm. always it's always the idea first and then yeah. i might and then if if you have a title great and that might be something that a composer could set or it might be me going away and saying here's an idea i have for here's some verse lyrics and some chorus lyrics and a composer might take a few of those and go Play with them and make something, so it's the two of you building something together,
0: many mm-hmm. ways of doing that incredible how uh, is there a one process that you like more that you find more you know easier or
1: no <laughs> I don't honestly, what I like more is having a clear idea of what we're trying to do and really mm-hmm. understanding it because. You know, as they say, measure twice, cut once. I, it's it's inevitable. But I, we have written the wrong song many times for a show. You know, you write the song and you go, nope, that's not it. Uh, so, the the best way, of course, is when you have a clear understanding of what you're trying to write, and then you can always make it better. But um, that really, the hard part is coming up with where is the song, what does it serve. What's it about? What's the tone? You know, that kind of, if you, if you have answered those questions, then you're, you're well on your way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Do you have, you know, of all the projects that you worked on, do you have, I don't want to say a favorite, but do you have one that has special meaning or where you, you know, remember fondly or it has, you know, a special moment for, for various reasons that you can talk about?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, of course, I have many, and uh, I love all my my show children equally. <laughs> um,
0: I, think Tom I suppose did the same thing when I asked. Yeah, him. <laughs> I, I, all I, think, shows.
1: <laughs> I of course. I mean, he and I. I mean, that was our first Broadway show, and the idea of uh, it just getting a meeting with the right people to pitch the idea of us doing this show, and that took us. T- Like a year and a half to get that meeting. And it was with Disney. It was with Tom Schumacher and Rick Ellis, who was then working at Disney. And we wrote a couple of songs on spec and we went in and played them the songs. And they said, okay, yeah, give it a go. You know, so here we were, we were like BMI students, you know, and we're like, Disney just said we could do this. And then, you know, neither of us had agents. And we called, you know, an agent's like, well, we just got the green light from Disney. So then we had agents, you know, so that was, and then we were (laughs) uh, performing the songs in cabarets that we did together. Because Tom was my musical director. That's how we (laughs) started out. And uh, the agent brought producers. And then all of a sudden we had, you know, so it was really kind of a magical yeah. Way that it came about—that was always pretty special.
0: Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Yeah. Had you been a fan of the movie before you oh, wrote the I project? Loved, I
1: love the movie, and the book was one of my favorite all-time yeah. top, top five favorite books. It still, yeah. it. <laughs> loved it so much. And oh, oh okay fun. and was working on it, like we he and I had been working on it for two years. And one day I got an email out of the blue and said, Hey Amanda, it's Nick Hornby. I hear you're doing a a musical based on my book. I hope it's going well. Cheers, Nick. And I was like, No. I mean, if God, <laughs> if God had written me an email, I wouldn't have been less yeah. like oh, it was like, you know, a thunderbolt. It was so exciting. Oh
0: gosh. Yeah. How amazing. You know. Yeah. So, uh, I, it's always amazing to work on a show, but particularly on one that you love already and that, you know, has particularly good associations and meaning. Absolutely. You know, it's not just work. No, <laughs> it's,
1: hardly, yeah. hardly. They were all, yeah. you know. Musicals take so long that it's doing it just for work is, is I mean, unless... It's a lot of money. Which, knowing musicals, it probably isn't upfront, but uh, but you really yeah, have to love exactly. it because it's yeah. as we know, you know, three years is lightning fast. Seven years is you know a little slow, but yeah. you know it's, they take it's years. Incredible
0: mm-hmm. how long they take. But you know they they are um, yeah labors of love. You know, Completely. in many ways, even for producers, you have to so believe in that project to be so Absolutely. persistent with it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. In addition to your career as a lyricist, you have a performing background, which I, I actually kind of knew, but only remembered when I was reviewing this, you know, my notes for this podcast. Um, how amazing is that? So you started out wanting to perform, correct? Correct. And then came into writing second. So, does your experience on stage does that you think that's helped you be a better writer? A hundred percent,
1: a hundred percent. I I am I am a ham. Um, I went to acting school <laughs> after college, and I you know the usual. My I went from acting school to waiter, waitering, and you know catering and waitering <laughs> and uh, cabarets gave me a way to employ myself, and then start singing my own songs after a while. Uh, but I love interpreting a song. And if I write a song and I sing it to myself and I call bullshit, then I can't expect anybody else to yeah. connect with it. But if a song moves me, I, I feel like I know it's gonna connect with an actor. And when an actor tells me that it's the words are hard to spit out, because you have to they have to be they have to be able to be sung easily, understood mm-hmm. by an audience on the first listen. So there's all sorts of rules about lyric writing, but I absolutely, I feel like I, I always, I always step in the actor's shoes when I'm doing it. Not because I'm a wonderful person, but I can't help myself. Like if you see me at a yeah. show in the audience, I will nine times out of ten be mouthing the lyrics. Cause I feel like I'm up, I feel like I'm up there flying the plane with them. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm yeah. in the moment I'm acting the lyrics. So I, yeah. I do think that affects me a lot. Yeah. And how I write.
0: Oh, good. Um, you're also the president of the Dramatist Guild. Yes. Right now. And the first am. woman to hold the position. Yes. Uh, amazing. And congratulations. But. Thank you. Why oh. did it take so long to have a woman president? <laughs> uh, I
1: don't know. That is an unanswerable question. <laughs> women women have long played a very important part in, in the dramatist guild and have been vice Lisa crone was vice president. And uh I mean years ago, Mary Rogers was a member of the council, and um uh Lynn Nottage has been a, a stronghold, you know, member of the council. We have so many strong women. Uh, on the as members of the council and it just I don't know but it's about time and um, I'm you know humbled and fearful and uh, honored to to be president and I have an incredible my fellow officers who uh, I feel like the four of us really do it together and that's uh, Christine Toy Johnson and Brandon Jacobs Jenkins and Christopher Diaz um so I, I just wow. think, yeah, the more, the, the more, the better. And um, yeah, it's about time, but it's about time for a lot more representation. So. Yeah, that's department. an amazing
0: council. I love that oh. energy. I oh, can't even imagine yeah. that energy. <laughs> oh
1: it's, but also I mean on the councils you know Lynn Manuel Miranda and Stephen Schwartz and John Weidman and Marcia Norman and Georgia Stitt and david lindsay bear it's it's an incredible an incredible group, and that's there's twenty more after that um and council members from around the country as well so it's it's an inspiring group to be part of, and um I'm so proud of the the dramatist guild because as I always say yeah. um Theater writers, you know, if you're lucky enough in my, you know, if you're on Broadway or your plays get produced a lot and I have an agent and I have a lawyer and they're fantastic. But they're looking after my health. But who is looking after the health of theater writers as Mm -hmm. in our industry? And we can't unionize, which is a very odd thing because we own our work, unlike uh, people yeah. who write for the films, films or TV yeah. all have unions. We can't yep. unionize because we're basically small business owners or gig workers. Uh, but mm. we are a, a collective and we care about writers and we care about copyright and we care about writers not being exploited and um,
0: yeah.
1: making the theater what? more equitable and profitable and, you know, able to able to sustain yourself as a yeah. theater writer.
0: I yeah. guess it's a double-edged sword. You can't unionize, but you do own your work, and it's the one medium where nobody can change your work without permission. And that's Absolutely. I know that that's extremely satisfying. I, as as I mentioned, my boyfriend is a television writer, and yes, and I have many friends who write for TV, and that is the number one frustration is not knowing what will let, get produced. You know, after you turn in a script, and I think. What I just love that about the theater that what somebody wrote is what you have to do, um, and that's it. Or you're welcome to write your own script.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yes. We pay we pay for that privilege, um, and, uh, but it is it is something that even in, even people like your 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 partner and uh, very successful screenwriters. Love coming back to the theater because they can write exactly what they want to write, and no one can touch it and that is something precious
0: what do you think um the biggest issue is right now facing our theater writers uh I do think it's
1: it's as they say and it's not a it's not uh, hilarious but it's you can make a killing, but you can't make a living so it's <laughs> it's um yeah. it, I, that has always been our uh our dilemma um Gosh, there's all sorts of things. Access. Um, um, oh, don't get me started. There's so many things, <laughs> but but it's yeah. also there are so many people working, and um, people still want to write plays, and young people still yeah. come and they want to write for the theater, and uh, we want to make it a more welcome place for. Emerging writers, yeah. and I don't even like to say young. I like to say emerging yeah. because you can be fifty and emerging as a playwright, or sixty. That's true. Uh, so that's true. Uh, it's still something that attracts people, and it's still yeah. profoundly satisfying. And
0: uh, it's great because, yeah. and and I think that's so important that work because every time you know a young writer has a hit, and you see that they've been you know writing on a show or been given a deal in Hollywood like I start to panic that we're going to see plays <laughs> again. Lose them. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I oh, know, leave Sam Hunter alone. Like, you know. <laughs> right. Hands <laughs> you know, up. Like, Hands yeah. up Will Arbery. Like, right. You know, <laughs> right.
1: In. Um, that's right. just
0: panic that they're going to, you know, end up like never writing for the theater. And it's, you know, that's the voice of an entire generation. And because I think there's so much product out there, you know, there there's theater writers are in, in, well, you know, in pretty hot demand, I think more than they were, but when there were only three networks. Agreed.
1: Agreed. They can borrow our writers, but they have to give them back. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, if I, you know, yes, writing for TV, it, it would be, <laughs> it would be silly to turn your back on all these other avenues yeah. and, and especially to make money and to, and, you know, this fantastic TV out there and fantastic films, yeah. but they, they come back, you know. Brandon still writes yeah. for the theater. Doug writes for the theater. <laughs> Lynn, you know, writes for the theater. So, yeah. you know,
0: have yeah. you ever thought about writing for TV, film? Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, I yeah. hope that happens. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Well, good luck with that. I look forward to Thank you, to but that. I will
1: always come back.
0: So, last question: Your show is titled Amanda Green and Friends, of course yes you have amazing friends amazing Um, how did you put this group together for this show you know um i begged and i (laughs) know
1: (laughs) there were people who i've uh they kind of speak for themselves i mean uh, shoshana bean has uh was just a mr saturday night and i i just love her and i i would love to share an intimate evening of song with her. Uh, Javier Munoz is also somebody I love and adore and um, thrilled to have him sing one of my songs. I mean, it's just—it's really just a thrill. to. One of the perks of, of getting to write music is, is having it performed by these astoundingly talented people. So, um, I did several people were in a reading of female troubles. So they're going to, we're going to do some songs from that. Um, oh, that's exciting. Yeah. So it's, it's people who I, uh, I admire. I love they, i just feel like, yes, that's how I want my song performed and you're going to hear it. You know, uh, uh-huh. I'm so lucky to get to have these people who I just think nail my songs and, um, uh, so that's how I did it, people who are fun to work with, people who are um, excited to be there. Because um, it's hard work, as you know, and it's it's very kind of them to come and and perform. And, uh, and it's fun. We have a good time.
0: So what do you think, um, what do you hope that audiences uh, will take away from your show? Last question.
1: Oh, well, I hope they will have a fantastic time. I hope they will laugh their asses off and be moved. Um, I hope they will have an appreciation of the craft of songwriting, be excited to uh, see what happens to Female Troubles next, Um, sign my mailing list uh, through through (laughs) bouquets. What else do you want?
0: (laughs) Exactly. All of it. You want all All of it. I want all of it. Absolutely. Yes. Well, Amanda, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been really fun to talk to you. You too, Bella. Thank you. not be more excited for your show. You can catch Amanda Green on October 24th at 54 Below with her new show, Amanda Green and Friends.
1: You may. Thank you. I hope you do.
0: You've been listening to the 54 Below podcast, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app.